the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Well, we made it. The 2021 college football season is finally upon us. I will be joined shortly by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland as we preview the Buffs opener against the Bears of Northern Colorado. Before we can get into the season, however, we still have some news to review. We will open with a discussion of the newly created alliance between the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC, with its implications, both short-term and long-term, for CU. We will then make our predictions for how the Pac-12 standings should shake out in 2021. Then, our tips for the Northern Colorado game. For those new to CU at the game, it is our review of the talent, intangibles, preparation, and stats for every CU game and will serve as our first preview of the season. From here to the end of the year, the podcast will go weekly, with a review preview podcast posted each week. So, if you haven't already, now would be a good time to subscribe to the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other fine sites. With the podcast having new episodes every week, a subscription will alert you as soon as they are posted. For now... Sit back and enjoy as we talk a little bit about the Alliance, give you our Pac-12 predictions, and set the table for the season opener against the Northern Colorado Bears. Okay, and we are back for another episode with Brad Geiger in Highlands Ranch. How are you doing, Brad? Doing all right. Been playing some golf and uh, looking forward to all of the football season starting. Very good. And Neil Langland in downtown Denver. How's Neil today? Just fine. Made it up to the high country for a good hike earlier this week. Had a great day. Looking wow. forward to next Friday. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about next Friday, but before we get there, we've got the news of the week, which was the Alliance of the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC made major news, major discussions in all the networks. Neil, let's we'll, we'll start with you. We got 41 schools that unanimously agreed to agree. Is this going to be going down in history as a landmark day in the history of college football, or is this much ado about nothing? Well, that was the poll question on the website. And I was unable to answer because I don't know, 
but it seems like it's a handshake deal between the three commissioners. And I wonder how much of that is due to personalities and how much it might change if commissioners change, because there, as you say, is not much in writing. So there's not much to know. Further, if there's going to be a scheduling alliance, it's not going to affect football for probably a half a dozen years, really, unless there's a lot of cancellations. It'll impact basketball. I'm hopeful that we can work out a scheduling scenario where the Pac-12 goes to uh, maybe eight games and then has a game each year against the ACC and the Big Ten. That would be a nice scheduling option and still allow some out-of-conference games. But as to whether or not this is going to stick, it seems like it was cobbled together to get a quick response to Texas and Oklahoma moving. Beyond that, I don't know that there's much substance. Okay. Well, Brad, put on your attorney hat. We've got the Pac-12 commissioner, George Klyavkov, saying there's no signed contract. There's an agreement among three gentlemen and a commitment amongst the 41 schools to do what we say we are going to do. And CU Athletic Director Rick George at his press conference said, you don't need a contract if you trust the people you are working with. So, Counselor, does it sound like there's any contract at all? Well, you use the phrase an agreement to agree. And those of us who have been to law school know that an agreement to agree is not an agreement at all. There's a reason nothing's signed. There are way too many parties not part of this discussion to have anything signed. And most importantly, the parties that are not part of this discussion would be any of the television networks. Somebody on ESPN, I can't remember who I'm stealing this from, called it, you know, friends with benefits. It's not a marriage. (laughs) Um, It's, yeah, I completely agree with Neil that the reason it came this quickly was to tell the SEC and ESPN, we're still here. I think it's a bit more than that. Uh, Of course, a gentleman's agreement is not enforceable, which is the whole point. How would you enforce anything that's been done here in a court of law? But then again, this wasn't made for the court of law. It was made for the court of opinion, court of public opinion. It was made in part for the court of Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS, and ESPN. So it is, I think, important, but it is perhaps step two of 74. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got a ways to go. Neil, I'll give you another quote from Rick George. Alliance allows us to collaborate on issues and bring stability to collegiate athletics and the collegiate model. Actually, the, the phrase collegiate model was thrown around a lot. And is that lawyer speak for not being the semi-pro NFL minor league that we are afraid that the SEC is going to make collegiate athletics turn into? Um, that's a good question. I think that they were, with their response, as Brad said, firing a shot across the bow of the SEC. And I think their opinion is that the SEC and ESPN are going too far in the direction of a pro-type league and that the 41 remaining schools want to maintain at least the appearance of amateurism and 
through collaboration, they are going to vote perhaps against many things that ESPN and the SEC want, and that they are going to stand as some opposition to, in particular, um, an early adoption of the college football playoff expansion. Right. So is that really the goal here, that ESPN has the exclusive rights to the playoffs, and if it expands to 12, then that just is more money for ESPN and its friends at the SEC who might have six teams out of 12 in the playoff. Does this model, does this agreement, does this gentleman's agreement, can it withstand three or four years of Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, slash Georgia, put in your other fifth or sixth team? Can we do that for a couple of years and have the alliance hold long enough until we can get other parties that can bid on the playoff? Uh, that's a good question. I think it depends upon the money. If there is more money to be made for all the parties by accelerating that, then they will do that. If not, I think there is incentive for the alliance to keep Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12 and prolonging their presence there, therefore making it more difficult for the SEC to have its way with the playoff. Yeah. Well, I think the key point there is that Allegedly, all the schools have agreed. Supposedly, Ohio State is on board. Supposedly, Michigan is on board, which bears power out of proportion to their recent success. Yes. Supposedly, Clemson is on board. Well, all three commissioners went out of their way to say all 41 athletic directors were on board. You uh, have a reason to be skeptical? No, not at all. But that has to be the case. Okay. We are coming down to a point where, you know, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others, <laughs> <laughs> you know, without Clemson or Ohio state or Michigan or, you know, that kind of thing, this was never going to work. So to me, one of the more key parts of the Alliance are those schools telling Alabama, Georgia, et cetera, we're going to continue to play. And we're not going to play in your playground if we can avoid it. I think that's right, Brad. And one other thing that the Alliance may want is to modify some of the terms of the CFP as currently proposed. That is, for example, the Pac-12 may want to push the automatic qualifier in order to make sure that they get at least one team in. There may be other things that they're trying to do to minimize the presence of the SEC in the CFP. So, Brad, let me ask you another good legal question. I'll pretend, you know, that I never went to law school because, you know, you're the <laughs> your attorney in this podcast, so I get to ask you, is there any merit to the idea that the schools didn't want to have a written agreement because every time the NCAA or any of its members actually get together and do something, it becomes a collusion case, and you've got all the stuff coming out of Alston, you got the NIL stuff that's coming out with, you know, players at Ohio State and LSU getting cars, which, of course, has very much to do with their name, image and likeness. Was there any fear that if there was actually a, some sort of a written agreement that it would be challenged by probably teams in the Big 12 um, who got left out in the cold? Uh, that there was some sort of collusion here and it would be challenged in court. So if there's no agreement in writing, there's no agreement to challenge. 
Oh, I mean, understand that unwritten collusion can still be collusion. <laughs> um, you know, when three manufacturers of steel get together over drinks and decide to price steel, they rarely put that in a contract. But the antitrust situation for college athletics right now, there is nothing more up in the air. A, a judge in New York just refused to dismiss a case where football players were asserting they were employees and were entitled to employee benefits, et cetera. Eventually, the only solution to this is some sort of congressional legislation, some sort of change in the antitrust laws, some sort of fix in that. And if one of the thoughts behind the alliance is let's wait and see how that looks, that's just good sense. Um, I don't think it probably was the driving force, but I think the driving force is they don't yet know what they're agreeing to. But um, the danger of being sued for collusion, I mean, the the Big 12 has essentially threatened to sue everyone, uh, you, me, and Neil included. (laughs) So, um, yeah, there is that danger as well. Well, at least one of us is judgment proof, so that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of the Big 12 or the Little 8 or the Irate 8, the Pac-12 talked about, well, we're looking into expansion and then came out and issued a statement saying we're not interested in expansion. We've talked about this before that there's not a whole lot of added value. There are some arguments that you know getting a Texas school or Texas schools involved would add value to the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 has said, at least for now, at least publicly, we're not interested in expansion. Does that come as a surprise to you, or you just think that they're still talking about it behind closed doors? Don't want anybody to know what they're who they're talking to. I, to me, that 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 statement was we're going to take a breath. That we're because we have discussions still going on with these other conferences. There's just nothing worth messing that up. And we've all talked about there's no massive gets in the tattered remains of what was once the proud Big 12. You know, there their arguments could be made that there are better schools that are not part of that. I think if the Pac-12 had gotten some overwhelming offer from some great school, we wouldn't have seen this. This this seemed to me like ah, we're not going to buy anything when you know there was nothing worth buying. Yeah, it did. The timing didn't seem right, especially several days after the we're all in this together and then we're going to go off and do our own thing. That would certainly not uh, fit the gentleman's agreement. At least it seems like that, you know, we're we're doing our own thing anyway when we're supposed to be all holding hands. So for you, Neil, I mean, bottom line, Alliance, a good thing just because it is what it is or. Was it premature? Should they have actually talked about it some more and actually come up with some concrete, here's what we're thinking about for the playoff, here's what we're thinking about for TV contracts, and, you know, oh, by the way, you know, we're going to have everybody have eight-game conference schedules so that there can be an extra cross-country game and new rivalries can be brought to the fore and get people excited about CU playing Virginia or Maryland or Michigan or something like that? Or was it just the right thing to do at the time to let the SEC and the college football world know that the other three conferences have taken note of the SEC's aggression 
and are going to take steps to keep them from going any further. I think they, the Alliance had to do something. They had to say something to put ESPN and the other networks, as Brad mentioned, on notice that we're not just going to go ourselves. We're going to unite and present a united front in terms of rules, in terms of what may happen at the NCAA, and when it comes to contract negotiations to the extent possible. My worry is that there may not be any substance behind this because it's not a homogenous group. And it's going to be difficult to keep all the herd of cats together to have some sort of unified, uh, strong presence. My sense is that also there's so much yet to be determined and there's such disparate in- interests, excuse me, between the various schools and conferences, it just may not materialize. Yeah. So there may still be defections here before the TV contracts run out. Well, it, it may be in the interests of the SEC and ESPN to try to splinter that group and pick off some of the better teams. Yeah. They're not likely to go after Texas Tech in Kansas is what you're trying to tell me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I, they could, they, if, if they wanted them, they would have got them. Yeah, they could have had them any time, I think. Okay, well, we could talk about this for days and days, but fortunately for us and the rest of the college football world, there are actually going to be football games played in the very near future. Let's talk a little bit about the Pac-12. Let's start in the North Division. The Pac-12 media has decided almost unanimously that Oregon is going to win the North of the 40 media voters, 38 of them picked Oregon to to win the division, two had Washington, and then it was pretty close between Cal and Stanford. Cal, they had his third just barely over Stanford, then a significant drop-off to Oregon State and Washington State. Uh, So, yes, so Oregon State fifth, Washington State sixth. Okay, Brad, we'll let you go first. Uh, it's almost unanimous. They got 238 points maximum. We've been 240. So 38 media members voted Oregon first and two voted them second. So is it pretty much Oregon State's division to lose? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that in easy? a year we, where we know less than we have ever known, of course, you're going to pick the long-term favorite. Everything was weird last year. Teams missed games because of this or that or the other thing. We don't have a good read on a single team in the Pac-12. They didn't play enough. They didn't play consistently enough. They were all over the board. So if you have to pick now, you pick the most talented team, and that's Oregon. This is not that hard. Could Washington step up? Always. The idea that, I mean, it has to be that those two. The idea that Cal Stanford is going to come out of nowhere and and knock those two off seems highly unlikely. And then the rest of the teams are rebuilding or unbuilt, and there just doesn't seem to be anybody who can step up there and challenge those two programs. Okay. Well, Neil, the uh, all the preseason publications touted Oregon as the two-time defending Pac-12 champions, making them sound like the prohibitive favorite when they – I didn't see one single preseason magazine that noted the fact that Oregon didn't even win its division 
last year. Do you have any doubts about the Oregon Ducks, or are you uh, on board with uh, the quack attack? I think Brad's right. Um, and to that, I would add that we had a small sample last year, but these teams remain largely unchanged due to the free year of eligibility. So we could expect that they may perform this year the way they did last. And Oregon, despite their talent, despite all the advantages, seems to sleepwalk at least one or two games during the conference. And therefore, they're not reliable. And it depends upon to whom they lose. If they do it against Washington, perhaps, then I think the the Huskies could sneak in there. Uh, I don't see any of the other four having a realistic chance. Okay. Well, let me ask you both. Uh, September 11th, Oregon at Ohio State, Washington at Michigan. How is the Pac-12 going to look in the marquee games in the non-conference schedule in the North Division? One and one. Yes, I agree. I think Washington probably has the better chance to win. And I would take Ohio State over the quacks. (laughs) I'll be surprised if that's not an eight-point betting line, Ohio State over Oregon. Yeah, I wouldn't be a bit surprised either. Go ahead. Well, and I think Michigan has a lot of talent and advantages, but just can't seem to get it off the ground under Harbaugh. I don't know their problem, but they're not reliable. Right. Okay. Well, the storyline is going to be if Oregon loses to Ohio State, especially if Oregon loses significantly to Ohio State, it's not super competitive. Is the storyline on September 12th going to be that the Pac-12 has no chance of getting into the college football playoff, that the season is already over for the Pac-12 even being a part of the discussion. I mean, and the, they, you know, to the extent that an East Coast paper is going to care, perhaps. <laughs> um, well, they said they tend to care when it's a negative story. Right. You right. Know, and if they we'll, can say, well, we're done with Pac-12, let's just, you know, concentrate on the four or five things we actually care about. Well, you know. I, uh, if Ohio State pummels Oregon, we know that Kirk Herbstreet will have that position. <laughs> um, um, being an Ohio State grad himself. Yeah, being yeah an Ohio State homer himself. I think, yeah, there will be some of that conversation. I think, yeah, some of that conversation will be necessary. That conversation will be, well, Oregon's out. Now let's see what USC can do. Ah, excellent segue. So let's talk a little bit about the South. Uh, the Preseason media poll was much more divided. It wasn't as unanimous. USC did get 27 of the first place votes out of the 40 media members that voted. Utah, six. Arizona State, six. So Utah was slightly ahead of second place pick. UCLA was in at number four with one media member picking them to win the division and I will withhold comment on the fact that a team that hasn't had a winning record since 2015 is somehow picked to win their own division this year. Colorado, as it did last year, came in at number five. And Arizona was the almost unanimous pick to finish last. Again, 40 media members voting. They had 41 points, which means there was exactly one media member that voted them fifth. And the other 39 voted them sixth. So 
who wants to go first? Neil, tell me, are you a USC fan or is it up for grabs in the Pac-12 South? I think it's up for grabs despite Utah replacing a quarterback. Uh, they're going to be good again because they're so strong up front year after year. I think it comes down to how well USC's quarterback plays. If they can get consistent, good performances out of Slovis, I think they have to be the favorite and they'll, they will roll over most teams. So I would actually pick them to win the Pac-12 if they play anything close to their talent. But like Michigan and Harbaugh, um, we just don't know what we're going to get from Helton. <laughs> so USC under Helton is a box of chocolates. We just don't know what we're going to get. <laughs> They're yeah. the Forrest Gumps of the league. You bet. <laughs> so how about you, Brad? Are you uh, buying into the Arizona State hype? Is this the year of the Herm? Or Utah and Kyle Whittingham now has the Baylor quarterback, Charlie Brewer, there to uh, actually give them decent quarterback play. and the Utes are going to surprise everybody once again. I find Arizona State to be the least predictable team in the entire Pac-12. I could see that team winning the South. I could see that team finishing dead last in the South. They had the weirdest, worst scandal. They had the strangest year last year with COVID. Coaches turning on each other, ratting each other. Former coaches ratting out current coaches to the NCAA. This is college football, and attitude still matters, and morale still matters. And you can almost see Arizona State could rally behind them and, and make that their, their rallying call and, and blow through the South, literally. Or they could make one loss, and you never see those people again. They're not even getting off the bus, which I think is just going to be fascinating to watch throughout the year. As one aside, remember when Arizona was going to be a football school? Um, and they are just woeful SEC is more talented. I agree with Neil. If that quarterback can play as well as he has shown at times, they can blow teams out. I'm very interested to see how USC Utah look. I mean, it is flash versus substance. It is grind them out versus throw it all over the place. I think that could be a really interesting, um, challenge. And, uh, you know, USC always finds recently a way to blow one. So, Could I throw something out about UCLA now that you mention it? I remember after they learned to hang on to the ball in Boulder last year, they ran up and down the field on our defense. They have potential on offense. If Kelly is half the coach that we think he is, this is his year to prove it. And they, they might challenge USC. As for Arizona State, you know, McCartney used to say the emotional is to the physical is three is to one. And you're right. Trying to get a pulse or trying to get some sense of where the players' heads are right now, that's the most important thing for ASU's season. Well, and they, you know, have a pretty easy non-conference schedule compared to some of the other teams. You, have, you know, UCLA has to play LSU, obviously Colorado has to play Texas A&M, and USC not at the beginning, but does have a Notre Dame on their schedule in the non-conference. So there's a little easier path, uh, at least that way for Arizona state to get there. Riddle me this, you know, Carl Durrell in all of the preseason magazines, like, well, he had a great year, Pac-12 conference coach of the year. If they bothered to mention that 
five years coaching at UCLA, went to a bowl game every year. Chip Kelly has been there three years at UCLA. It's, I believe it's still UCLA. It's still the same school 15 years later, but still the same school. Hasn't been to a bowl game, hasn't had a winning season. And yet we still believe that Chip Kelly of the Oregon years is going to somehow make this into a winning team this year. So is it just DTR? Dorian Thompson-Robinson, to me, is like they're Steven Montez. You know, he had a great freshman year. Steven Montez had his first game as a starter, threw for 300 yards and ran for 100. We upset Oregon on the road. First player in CU history to have a 300, 100-yard game. And spent the next three and a half years not living up to that. You know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson has been good at times, but it, as a freshman, it's like, okay, he's making freshman mistakes, but just wait till he's a senior. And we've been waiting for three years for him to become that star quarterback that he projected to be as a freshman. Do you think that DTR is going to have that kind of year and that uh, Chip Kelly is finally going to be the Chip Kelly of old? Or are they going to lose to LSU and everybody's going to move on? Could I just jump in quickly? Uh, I think it's an unwritten rule here on the podcast that we get to take a shot at Nebraska every time. <laughs> and it seems like Nebraska pioneered the off-season workout and the summer workouts, and they got bigger and stronger than everybody. Then the rest of college football caught up to that. I think the same is true of Chip Kelly. He was on the cutting edge for a long time, but he has been probably passed up by the other advances at other schools. And it's yet to be proven that he has that mojo that he once had. As to DTR, his variance is so wide, it's just impossible to predict that. That's why I have him as a dark horse. So, Brett? With the exception of perhaps certain politicians, nobody was happier to have a COVID year than Chip Kelly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nobody needed that break more than Chip Kelly. You know, he should be on on the hot seat. He hasn't lived up to his contract. I don't know if he ever could have. Um, Certainly hasn't lived up to his hype. And more importantly, he has not shaped his quarterback into a winner. And, you know, that may be in terms of, of the inherent limits of DTR. But at this point, you the idea that suddenly his ceiling is going to expand and explode, that's got to be. I'm going to have to see it to believe it. And if that team goes out and LSU just paces them and LSU, you know, suffered more last year than anybody. But if, as we, I expect LSU paces them on the second or third week of the season, I mean, it, UCLA could disappear without a trace. Okay. So we got to move on. Cause we're going to start talking about the university of Colorado. Yes. <laughs> uh, just two sentences. 30 seconds. Colorado's picked to finish fifth this year. Colorado's picked to finish fifth last year, finish second. Where do you see in November, December, where is uh, Colorado in the pecking order of the Pac-12 South? Broad picture. Fourth is, place is, competing for third. Fourth place competing for third? I'm okay. Neil? Agree. If things go well for them, yes. That's exactly, I think, where they'll be. Running game works. Lewis can make enough plays. Landman comes comes back. There's no reason they can't compete with the teams in this division. Okay. 
six well, and six is possible. I yeah. think. Okay. Well, one of those six is damn well better be the University of Northern Colorado. <laughs> okay. So uh, no real line. I saw one line. It's only like 13 and a half points. Now we're going to talk about our preview. And for those that maybe haven't been with the see you at the game website for the last 10 or 12 years. And if so, where have you been? I do a preview every week. It's acronym is tips T for talent. I for intangibles, obviously talent, you know, what are we up against? What are, you know, how many five-star players, what, who's the star players to watch for intangibles? What's going on outside of the, the field? Is there anything that one team has to play for? doesn't have to play for, What's going on that might have an impact on the game? P is for preparation or schedule. And this makes more sense later in the season. Is there a team coming off a bye? Does somebody have a rivalry game coming up next week? Um, are there injured players that are just been injured or coming back from injury? Is there something about the schedule or the preparation that makes a difference in the outcome of the game or the predicted outcome? And then the last is always my favorite, S for stats which again, early in the season has very little value, but when we get deeper into it, we can start you know, diving into the weeds and looking at the 79th ranked rushing defense against the 23rd ranked rushing offense and you know those different factors that might play a role in the game. So talking about T for talent for the University of Northern Colorado Bears, can either of you Talk about the Bears in more than three sentences without mentioning the word McCaffrey. There is nobody in the country that can talk about the UNC Bears <laughs> for more than two sentences without mentioning the name McCaffrey, nor should they. If they were to try to do so, they would be inaccurate and inappropriate. I mean, this this what this is about. The coach is Ed McCaffrey, who everybody on the front range of Colorado knows. One, because he was a better than average receiver. And two, he was an even better than that pitch man for a number of years and now has been a very successful coach at the best paying high school in the Denver area, both coaches and players. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, he has a son who may very well be the best running back in the National Football League and another son who will be the starting quarterback almost certainly for the University of Northern Colorado Bears when they play CU. So I don't know how one does this without mentioning the McCaffrey name, nor should you. That's talent-wise. The question is, you know, the younger McCaffrey comes from Michigan, where he never made any kind of ripple on the depth chart, but he does know big-time football. His father has never coached a college game. This will be his first. But they have recruited a number of players who had failed at FBS programs and are now playing for the Northern Colorado. They have some people there who can probably play, but the difference has to be that Colorado is much more has much more depth. And by the way, they've played a football game in the last year. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, Neil, this is a team that went. 2-10 in 2019, did not play in 2020, uh, did have a couple of scrimmages in the spring against Division II schools. Uh, Chadron State from Nebraska came over, and they also scrimmaged against CSU Pueblo. Uh, but that's been the only 
hitting of other players wearing different uniforms since November of 2019. The turnover, 22 transfers, 11 JUCOs. You figure in all the seniors that left and all the transfers or any attrition that would have been in the last two years. Obviously, this is not the same team that was last on the field in November 2019. In your observation, your thoughts, is there anything in terms of personnel that should give Colorado pause? I would think generally their level of talent, given all the activity that you just mentioned, should probably raise their talent level a notch or two, not up to the FBS level, I think. And they may be able to move the ball a little bit if McCaffrey, the young McCaffrey, can throw and he can be protected. They might be able to move the ball some. However, um, the last time CU played UNC, I had visions of Montana State. Sorry to bring that up, Stuart. Yes. and. I think it all depends on where the Buffs' head is at. If they can come out and just be even moderately motivated, it shouldn't last as a contest really past mid-second quarter. Right. And that should be the outcome. And that's when I did my interview with Lance Carl, he, I mentioned the 2017 UNC game and his word was ugly. And it was, we always see it was, it ended up being a 41-21 game, but it was 14-7 to in the first quarter. It was 28-21 deep into the game. It was, I think, see who scored with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, make it 38-21, that it finally was certain that the Buffs were going to win. So it was not, not a pretty game at all. There are some names for Buff fans to keep an eye out for, including three former Buffs. Uh, amongst those transfers, two defensive linemen, Tava Finau. I keep wanting to call him Tony Finau because I watch golf. Austin Williams is a name I actually remember. And then there's a defensive back, Uriah Hudson. Other transfers to keep an eye out for. Running back, True Wilson, was also a defect from Michigan, came over with Dylan McCaffrey. Two wide receivers, Dylan Thomas from TCU. And Cassidy Woods came over from Washington State. So there are some former Power Five players that will be on the field for the the Bears coming against the Buffs. Talking about intangibles, there's always the chip on the shoulder, Brad. You know, is there anything that plays into uh, the Bears' hands in terms of intangibles? Being completely and totally unknown. There is not one minute of film or video on how they're going to play, what they're going to play, what they're going to look like. You know, I, if there is an if there is an advantage in preparing, they've seen us and we haven't seen them. So you know, it, if we are the same, but of course we have a completely different quarterback. I suspect we're going to have a very different offense. The fact that they know that we're going to turn around and hand the ball to someone. Um, probably is not a massive advantage to them. Yes. Well, and, and Carl Durrell even said in one of his press conferences that they're really not game planning at all for Northern Colorado. But he said, we, you know, he said, you look at some Valor Christian tape, but it knows it has very little value to them. And obviously the team from 2019 
and not only has it been redone, but it's not the same coach. So are we expecting reverses, halfback passes, onside kicks? You know, what what is uh what are the Bears gonna bring to try and keep this game close? Well, that was one reason I thought it would last into the second quarter. It's going to take a while for CU's coaches to solve what UNC is doing on offense and defense um, because they're a complete mystery now. Uh, UNC may score some points early on, but I think fairly quickly the Buffs will be able to solve the schemes and just roll. So – in terms of rolling now, a couple of games last year, you mentioned the UCLA game earlier when UCLA made a big comeback. And then there was a Stanford game where there was a big comeback by Stanford, but also seemed like Carl Durrell was content to go into his four corners offense kind of thing, that he looked at the score. He was up by more than two touchdowns against Stanford and was content to go three and out and three and out and just kind of, play the clock is that something that might factor in to this game that once he has enough points to win that kind of takes the you know the foot off the gas I mean the the idea at least you know Lance Carl kind of hinted at was that they're going to play both quarterbacks if for no other reason than to give A&M a bunch of film to look at are you going to keep all your starters out there so you get them prepped for A&M or are you going to take your starters out to keep them for A&M and get more players playing time, Brad, which uh, if you're Carl Durrell, how are you playing this game step, you know, strategically? I think strategically you're using your depth. So I think likely, I think we're going to see still seek two quarterbacks. I think we're going to see which wide receivers are going to stand out. We're going to look at how the running back rotation is going to work. Um, is there going to be a rotation or um, or is there a starter and a backup? So I would be a little surprised with AM coming up. Um, I don't know if we will show the whole game plan, but I think the two deeps going to play as we try to figure out who the actual two deep are. Yeah. So you mentioned Texas AM. So, Neil, both Colorado and Northern Colorado are playing Southeastern Texas schools the second week of the season. CU is playing Texas A&M, whereas Northern Colorado is going on the road to take on, I believe it's the Huskies of Houston Baptist. So in terms of uh, incentive to prepare for a game, is CU at risk of looking past this Northern Colorado team to the point where it could be competitive past midway through the second quarter. Yes, there's always that that possibility with a team that may not arouse anyone's passions and which is totally unknown. I think that possibly what CU might do to build on something that Brad said is to build a comfortable lead and instead of going for a corner, to give a lot of false signals, to give to show personnel packages and formations and so on that they don't intend to use, but to make A&M aware of and make them prepare for stuff and divert their time away from more productive preparation. Okay. Well, getting down to the actual predictions for the game, I get to be the Kirk Herbstreet here of ESPN Game Day where 
I'm, you know, instead of calling the game, I'm going to have my written prediction on the the website come Wednesday morning of game week, maybe Tuesday morning of game week because it's a Friday game. But uh, Brad, let's you go first. Prediction for the game, prediction for the score of the game. There is very little chance that UNC has either the talent nor the willpower to stay with CU. Relatively close early, pulling away late, 35-10, CU. Okay. The score of the first Super Bowl. You making fun of my Kansas City Chiefs? Thank you. <laughs> Not in any way. Not in any way, shape, or form did he intend to do that. Uh, okay, <laughs> Neil. First game of the season prediction. I think Brad is is right in the ballpark. I'm not sure CU's offense is going to be able to score 35, but we Ooh. may have a special team score even against UNC. Um, they've just been too variable. So I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 30 to 10. Mm-hmm. And I think probably what Durrell will do is, as you suggest, He'll go four corner probably sometime early in the third quarter. And hopefully the running game is doing well enough that even just running up the middle. I mean, we go back to the Oklahoma 82-42 game. They were trying not to score and they couldn't help themselves because we couldn't stop them. (laughs) You know, that type of a score. But unfortunately, we're all veterans of the Montana State game, the Sacramento State game. Even Eastern Washington, we needed a, a pick six late in that game to to pull away. So Colorado in the Big Sky Conference has not had not as gone as well as we would have thought it would have gone. So we won't talk about the fact that this is the first time CU's opened against an FCS team since 2006, when the Dan Hawkins era opened with a 19 to 10 loss to yes Montana State. So hopefully we'll break the string of uh, losing our opener to an FCF school and bring one home. So shortly thereafter, after the game, we will get together. We will start our review preview weekly. We'll go from biweekly to weekly. So we're going to get to see each other a great deal here. We'll be reviewing the Northern Colorado game and doing our preview, doing our tips for Texas A&M. So it is about to become very real very quickly. So thank you both for being here. And uh, any parting shots, any last words of wisdom? In the end, no matter what the machinations of the SEC or the Alliance or whatever else it is, come Saturday, there is still something pretty special about watching the game. Being at Folsom, is just a unique experience, no matter who the opponent is. And it's important to get out and enjoy that. Sounds like a plan to me. I will be there. And you both know I will be there with my entire family come down for a weekend in Boulder, Labor Day weekend. So I will hope that the buffs can uh, make it a, an easy game so I don't have to stress. And I certainly don't want to have to explain the buffs the rest of the weekend if they get upset by UNC. So think good thoughts and we will talk again real soon. Thanks for listening. 
I look forward to your comments. As a reminder, a new See You at the Game podcast will be posted weekly during the season. So look for our first review preview early next week. We'll take a look at what we learned from the game against Northern Colorado and take an in-depth look at the mile-high matchup against Texas A&M. Thank you also for being with us over the offseason. It's been eight months since the Buffs last took the field and some 22 months since we were last able to be in Folsom to watch our Buffs. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the game. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.